Good evening, everyone. Good evening. It is certainly my honor and my privilege to be here this evening. About two years ago, I came to my staff and I said to my staff, um, look, we've got uh, a real problem coming up in our country. We're going through an economic crisis, uh, and it looks like it's going to get worse. And I said that we've got to help people weather the storm. Um, it's not about uh, whether folks, um, you know, are, did well in the past. There are a lot of people, and not, whether, not the question of whether some are doing well, but we gotta, we're going to have a large group of people uh, who are in the process of losing their homes, losing their savings, losing their jobs, losing their health care. And so we wanted to try to sort of refocus uh, our efforts in the office. And so we have a, a person in our office, and all they do, uh, Debbie Perry, who stand, so happens to be standing at the back door there, all she does is deal with foreclosure. That's all she, I mean, that, that's how many, that's how bad the foreclosure problem is. She spends an entire day, sometimes as many as six days a week, trying to help people uh, stave off foreclosure, and to date we've helped at least somewhere in the area of 3,500 people uh, stay in their homes over the last two years. Throughout uh, America and here in Baltimore, um, people are in a struggle, and people are suffering during, uh, because of these uh, difficult economic times, and they deserve a government that will stand with them. I've said that if the government can stand with the banks and bail them out, and we certainly be, should be able to help the American people get through what they're going through. And so now, ladies and gentlemen, we come to the core of our program. I'm grateful to acknowledge the experts who have uh, gathered here to, this evening. And I'm going to ask each of them to take about five minutes to introduce their programs. Then we're going to have a brief period for your questions for the experts. And please keep those qu questions um, practical, not philosophical. You know, some people ask questions and they uh, want to give you their life story. Um, we don't have time for, for your life story tonight. Um, maybe many of our neighbors need help now. And I, as you listen to our experts, I want you to, to do me a favor. I want you to understand that while you may not be going through some difficulty, you may know somebody that's going through some difficulty, and we want you to pass the word, word uh, on. Uh, after we finish, you'll have a chance to meet with some of the people out there in the hall if you have not done so already. Uh, people who are about the business of trying to help people, again, get through this storm. Our panel uh, is, uh, and you can wave your hands. When, oh, they, got, they have name tags up there. Okay. All right. Miss um, Bernadette Johnson is the Director of Program Services, Mid-Atlantic uh, Association of Community Health Centers. Uh, and Nurse Angela T. Burton, Director of Quality Improvement and Infant Loss, Baltimore Healthcare Access. Uh, and for those who are most worried about the high costs, wait a minute, let me go to that back. Baltimore Healthcare Access, I did a um, press conference with them today, and they, they, um, they are the folks where you, if you don't have health insurance, these are the folks uh, that can help you find uh, health uh, care, health insurance, am I right? You'll, you'll talk about it. Uh, for those who are most worried about the high cost of heating, and cooling their homes and seeking, uh, and, and seeking billing assistance, Ken, Ken Strong, Assistant Housing Commissioner, Baltimore City Department of Housing, will provide the advice and contacts that uh, can make a difference. Uh, speaking of, of uh, LIHEAP, uh, heating uh, and, and 
air conditioning assistance. Uh, that's another area that um, uh, some in the Congress want to slash. Um, Ms. Kara Stretch, Director of Foreclosure Outreach, uh, Maryland Department of Labor, Labor Licensing and Regulation. She has critical advice about foreclosure and scam protections relating to your mortgage as well as mediation information. And for those of you who are most interested in financial literacy or just need some free tax preparation, uh, Director Sarah Johnson is here from the Baltimore Cash Campaign. And so um, we're going to start off with Ms. Uh, Bernadette Johnson. Uh, you got a mic there, or you can come up here. It doesn't matter, okay? All right, thank you. Give them a hand before they even start. We appreciate you. Good afternoon, everyone. First of all, I'd like to thank uh, Congressman Cummings for inviting us here for this important event today. And we should all be so lucky to have a congressman that represents us like the congressman does. He is so impassioned about the things that matter most to us, which are the things that strengthen us, like health care. And that's what I'm here to talk about is health care. Because without good health care, your, your life is basically meaningless. So um, what I want to talk about is with the Mid-Atlantic Association of Community Health Centers. We are the association that represents the community health centers that hopefully you are all familiar with in the Baltimore area. There are several in our communities. Um, one that will be representing us today is Total Health Care. And um, they do an excellent job of providing health care, primary care services, for our, our, our population. And one of the most important thing for community health centers that we are very proud of is the fact that community health centers were there, they will treat you regardless of your ability to pay. And that, in these days and time, is invaluable. We um, provide our services on a sliding scale basis, and so, like I said, if you are, if you are without, you're, you're uninsured, we will see you as well. Um, the services that community health centers provide are in the area of primary care, and as we all know, that is, uh, to me, the most important aspect of health care that can be provided because although millions of dollars are spent on specialty care, primary care is the thing that, that the foundation for our health care. So the services that are provided through the community health centers are from the primary care level. Um, we see adults as well as children, men, women, and those services are, are there for the community and that's what we love about community health centers is the fact that they are based in the community. They provide what we call wraparound services. So not only are you going to see your physician or your nurse practitioner or your physician assistant, but they also provide resources such as social services. If you're, how can you get to the doctor if you don't have transportation or you don't have a way to pay for transportation? In most cases, there will be someone there from social services to help you to find the, the services that, are, that you need in order to get to the doctor. 
And so, um, as I said, we are just here to be here for the community. We're here to support the community. And we just want to provide you with the information. We have a table set up outside. We hope that you'll come and see us and learn some more about us. We have been in the communities. Um, health centers have been around since the 70s, though a lot of folks don't really necessarily know. When we say we don't like to say federally qualified health centers because sometimes that throws people off, but when you say a community health center, yes, to me that is what describes us because we are in the community. And one thing um, before I finish that I would like to ask that you all do because hopefully we are all voting citizens. As the congressman mentioned, that, you know, right now there is a mean-spiritedness going on Mm -hmm. in Congress. And we need everyone to know who your representative is to fight for the the monies that have been provided for health care, that those dollars not be pulled away because without them, many of those who are uninsured would have no place to go. So I just thank you for allowing me to be here today. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you, Congressman Cummings, for the invitation. Thank you for your passion to this subject that I am also very passionate about. I brought notes, and then I said to myself, why did you bring notes? (laughs) You know this stuff, and you talk about it, and you live it, and you feel it, and and I feel like it's, it's a part of my mission and ministry. And so I want to tell you that Baltimore Healthcare Access here in Baltimore City is a nonprofit agency. It is an agency that was originally created in 1997 in response to the changes that were going on in Maryland as related to the medical assistance program when we went to the managed care model and you know many of the managed care organizations. And we were given the responsibility of oversight for the Medicaid programs in the city and to help those who are members of that Medicaid program access care. And one thing I want to say about that is our name says Baltimore Healthcare Access because the fact that you have a card in your hand or even have insurance is not equivalent to having access. If you don't know what you have, then you can't access it. And so we have nurses, social workers, outreach workers, advocates who will come to your house and link you with medical assistance transportation, get you to one of the community health centers that offers free and no-cost health care. In addition, we also do the eligibility determination for several of the programs, including the Maryland Children's Health Insurance Program, Medical Assistance for Families, and the Primary Adult Care Program. We are the agency in the city that does those applications, and, and within 10 days you can know the answer as to whether you can be eligible or not, and we can walk you through that process. And we realize that healthcare is not in a silo all by itself, but that everything else surrounding that includes health. So if you don't have gas and electric, you're not worried about the little ache that you may feel, so that we look at not only the individual that comes to us, but the entire family and all the other issues that are connected with that family so that we can do it in a holistic way. And so Baltimore Healthcare Access started that way, but we have many grants from foundations. And so we have an addictions outreach team that's outsourced at many of the addictions program. We have a homeless services unit that does all of what I just said. All these programs do the same thing, access care 
care coordination, case management, and assistance with not only obtaining health care, but then understanding and utilizing it. We also have ombudsmen so that when you have a complaint about the utilization of your medical um, medical assistance, you can also call us for that. We have care coordination and the maternal and child health program in the city where pregnant women and infants can get outreach. It all starts with us. All of those initial referrals come to us, and we make sure they go out into the community. And in Baltimore, we have a high incidence of infant mortality. Our babies die for reasons that they don't need to, and one of them includes unsafe sleeping environments. And so one of the things that Baltimore City has done is a, is a crib project where we give away for free pack and plays to eligible women who can just say, I I cannot afford to do this, or I need to do this with the $60 that I have instead of a pack and play. And so if they call us, we will deliver and set up the crib. And so for those who don't have the ability to come into the office, we come to you, and we will bring the crib and talk to you about safe environments. And so Baltimore Health Care Access is around. We all even do the foster care case management for children in foster care. We are wide-reaching. We're not just the agency that's going to talk to you about where you can get the health care, but we're going to help you access it, case manage you through it, and also do the eligibility for several of the other programs. And again, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here, and we should have representatives from our agency outside to give you more information about our programs. Ken Strong from the uh, uh, Commissioner's uh, Housing, Commissioner Housing okay. Office. Thank you, Congressman Cummings. I'm, I'm also honored to be here with, uh, with, with you and with the other uh, panelists. Um, Congressman Cummings mentioned the threat to energy assistance nationally. It's a serious threat. For many years now, people have been sustained, especially in wintertime, with energy assistance for their utility bills, their gas and electric bills. And there are efforts now to cut that support Uh, in Congress that we hope will not be successful. Um, We don't want to have to rely on energy assistance, but until we have the alternatives, many people need this help, and we hope uh, if you do, you'll access it now. While we have the funds, there are brochures uh, that describe the program and how to apply for it at our table outside. It's an income-based program to be eligible uh, for a family of one um, can make up to $19,000, a a family of four um, up to $38,000. And it's help both with heating bills and with electric bills. And if you're behind on your electric bills, if you're being threatened with the uh, cutting off um, uh, service to your home, this is the program that you need and you want to make sure that you uh, sign up for it. But we don't want people to have to need this. So we have, um, thanks to President Obama in Congress and Congressman Cummings, we have a very substantial weatherization program in Maryland and in Baltimore City. We were awarded $15.7 million in Baltimore City over a three-year period. We're spending that money wisely and well. We've helped helped over 1,000 families already make their homes more energy efficient through air sealing, insulation, cleaning and tuning of furnaces, uh, uh, energy-efficient light bulbs. Um, so the information about this program uh, is, is available to you outside, and we still have another year of stimulus funding, and we're, we're ready, willing, and able to help you along these lines. Um, up until recently, this program has primarily 
uh, aided homeowners. Um, but we got a grant from the Able Foundation recently, and we're going to begin to work with tenants and landlords on improving their properties and making them more energy efficient. But we're going to do it in a way that the landlords aren't unrichly uh, um, benefiting. The, the benefit we're aiming for the tenants to have lower utility bills, no raise in rents, and some sustained affordable uh, rental housing. And that's our plan there. Um, you may have read in the newspaper that Baltimore City uh, recently lost funding for lead paint abatement. Um, we are busily working in Baltimore Housing to restore that funding. We met with HUD recently. That program is going to be coordinated with weatherization, with housing rehabilitation in the division uh, that, that, that I'm leading. And we're particularly looking for ways that we can improve the health of housing as well as the, the cost and the energy uh, efficiency of, of housing. So if a family needs uh, lead abatement um, uh, to protect children from lead poisoning, we're going to coordinate that. And if they also need weatherization, have those services streamlined and more effective. Uh, we work closely with nonprofit organizations who provide additional healthy home improvements like fall and injury prevention for seniors. And I'm just about to wrap up, but I have to tell you that um, – uh, Congressman Cummings uh, stood up for us when we uh, um, asked for help in roofing repairs and heating system replacements in houses where we have healthy home Im improvements. That's a, a costly challenge uh, for us. And Congressman Cummings went to Constellation Energy, and we got a pledge. Their lawyers are working it out right now. You'll be happy to hear, Congressman, $1 million dollars in uh, roofing repairs and heating system replacements that we're going to coordinate with these other services. So thank you very much. Thank you. Ms. Kara Stretch, uh, Director of Foreclosure Outreach. Hello. Thank you, Congressman Cummings. This is a wonderful event, as always. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit tonight about foreclosure and about scams that we're seeing. Um, the Department of Labor Licensing, am I really loud? Okay. The Department of Labor Licensing and Regulation does a lot of things. We call it dollar. Um, some of you may be more familiar with us than we would like because we do unemployment insurance. Um, we also have workforce development, and we have um, some job centers that, that uh, hopefully folks who are collecting unemployment have located. Um, the foreclosure crisis and the economic crisis that we're, we're in right now has led to a lot of um, not so nice people benefiting. Um, one of the things that Dollar does is we do regulate and license a lot of the financial organizations in the state. So um, we do examine them. If you feel as though you have been a victim of a scam, I would like to give you the number, but I don't know how many of you have pens. The, there is information outside, but I'll give you the number now. It's one eight 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 seven eight four zero one. Um, just to give you an example of some of the scams that are out there right now, and, and this is a big one that, that has um, been slowing down lately, but it was really big a couple of months ago, is the, the loan modification scams, the, the people that say they can save your home, um, they collect a, a really large upfront fee that is illegal in the state of Maryland, unless they're an attorney, and even that's... <laughs> 
not too terribly legal. So um, if, if you know of someone or you have been victim to this, please report it to the hotline. Um, I always tell people if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, just don't pay the upfront fees. Call a nonprofit HUD-approved housing counselor. You can find out who they are on mdhope.org. Um, DHCD is here with a stand, and I have their information as well outside. Um, so the foreclosure process changed in Maryland in July, and it's very confusing, um, and it's hard to describe it in the short amount of time that I have, but I'll do my best. Um, the, the main thing that changed is that you now have the option to go to mediation if your um, home goes to foreclosure. So the way that that works is for 45, after 45 days of default, you can receive a notice of intent to foreclose. Once you receive this, it sort of starts the clock at that point. So um, they have to wait another, for, the bank has to wait another 45 days before they can file the foreclosure at the, do, at the courthouse, which is called an order to docket. When they file this order to docket, they have to file it with one of two affidavits. And I'm, I'm not going to confuse everybody with all of the details with that. Please come see me after if you have direct questions about it. But um, it's a preliminary loss mitigation affidavit, which means that they have not reviewed your loan for a loss mitigation option. Or it will be a final loss mitigation affidavit, which means that they've either exhausted all efforts or you didn't respond to the initial preliminary loss mitigation affidavit. If you receive the final loss mitigation affidavit, you will also receive a form to opt in to mediation. You only have 15 days to respond to this. So it's really important that you're opening your mail. The, the preliminary loss mitigation affidavit will be very, very thick. The final loss mitigation affidavit can just come in the mail it can look like just a regular thin envelope. It's only going to have a few pages in it. So it's really important, I can't stress enough, that you're opening your mail. But before it gets to that point, I think it's even more important that we're reaching out to a housing counselor. So please visit mdhope.org because um, if, if you get to the point where you receive a final loss mitigation affidavit, it's going to be very difficult to see a counselor or an attorney within the 15 days. They're very busy, so um, it's best to, to get there early if you know that you're facing a hardship. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. I got your attention, right? My name is Sarah Johnson. I'm with the Baltimore Cash Campaign. I'm kind of wearing two hats today. I'm also representing the Maryland Cash Campaign. As the name implies, they're sort of the statewide group, and we're doing the work here locally in Baltimore. I want to tell you that Baltimore Cash, the cash in our name, please don't ask me for money. Uh, the, the, the cash in our name is an acronym that stands for Creating Assets, savings, and hope. So we're all about saving your money, figuring out how to invest your money, and giving hope when you maybe don't have enough money and you're trying to figure out how to stretch it, right? We're all kind of trying to figure out how to stretch it these days. So we're a nonprofit. We've been around for 10 years. And uh, I want to touch on three key pieces of information I think might be helpful for you folks tonight. Uh, like the other presenters, we have a table um, outside. We have representatives from both Maryland and Baltimore Cash here to answer additional questions. We've got listservs we'd love to get you signed up for to learn more about the work we do. So the first thing I want to make sure people know about is free tax preparation, people. But I want to emphasize that free does not mean that it's not high quality. We are certified. We have certified folks through the IRS that take tests and are out there making sure that they are giving good quality service. Everything is reviewed by um, a CPA or an attorney before it's electronically filed. 
So we want to make sure you know we've got 17 sites around the city. We've got flyers outside. Uh, you can make an appointment um, online by going to bemorefreetaxes.org using those computers downstairs that Congressman Cumming was talking about earlier. Uh, that's bemorefreetaxes.org. Um, we also have a phone number that's on the flyer. I won't I won't shout it out, so you can just grab a flyer and get a phone number and find a site near you. Um, folks who qualify are families who make under 49000 or a single filer who made under 25000 So a few people go, oh, I make too much. Guess what? We've got folks in our network who, for a very small fee, will prepare your taxes. So you can get help. You can get your questions answered. You can get some tax advice from quality people and not get ripped off. That's the name of the game. Speaking of rip-offs, I want to make sure that I mention scams. This is something that gets me more fired up than anything is the scamming that's going on out there. Please do not sign anything before you know what your return is. Please do not give your documents to people that do not, should not be doing your taxes. Heard some very sad stories recently about people who went into a paid tax preparer, sat down because the sign said free out front. You guys have seen those, right, on the buses? Those aren't, that's not us. Uh, sat down and uh, didn't feel comfortable, wanted their documents back, and they, uh, they charged them a $60 fee just to get their ID back. Please be careful. Uh, the comptroller, the comptroller has a great website that lists folk where you can go and get your taxes done by someone who's quality. So does the IRS. The IRS has made them, their website even more friendly. So use these resources to make sure you're checking out who's doing your taxes. This is the most important financial document that you submit every year, and it follows you. If you know anyone in your life or personally have had tax issues, you know this stuff follows you. Uncle Sam wants his money. So please, please file wisely and get some advice. I'd be happy to talk with you afterwards if you need some additional resources um, about, about this. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, I know the congressman is also uh, really excited about the work that we do around uh, FAFSA. So uh, at our tax sites, um, you'll see on the back of the flyer, there's some, uh, some of our sites are indicated you can get additional resources there. One of the main things we're trying to do this year is help people file the free application for federal student aid, or FAFSA. If you are going back to school to get more education, you've got a student that is going off to college soon, right? You want to make sure you get this form done, and we can help you do that. It's an online form. The reason why we're doing it is because you need your tax information to file for the FAFSA. Even if you're not sure you're going to go to school in the fall, you need to get this form done. It's like waiting in line. You want to get as far ahead in the line as you can to get that state aid. And as I mentioned earlier, they're cutting Pell Grants, they're cutting student aid, so you want to get in line as fast as you can. So please come and see us to file for that. The second main uh, piece of information I want to let you know about is Money Power Day. Money Power Day is coming up April 2nd. This is the largest financial fitness fair in the region. The congressman is kind enough to join us every year and kick off the event, and we really appreciate your um, participation, congressman. Uh, this is packed with tons of resources. We have financial institutions there. We've got, uh, I think, pretty much all the nonprofits represented on the panel will be there and, all, and many, many others. We have 40 different exhibitors. I think that one of the greatest things to do, this is a family-friendly event. So you can bring your kids. There's financial games for them to play. There'll be financial family feud going on with prizes. So it's very interactive, but it's also a time to really get some great education. There's workshops going on with, again, experts from around the region on how to grow a business, how to start a business, how to invest. So it's not just if you're sort of broke and got nothing. It's also for people who are trying to make it and just need some help to figure out how to get to the next step. So please make sure you take some flyers. Help us spread the word about Money Power Day. It's free. It's at Poly Western High School. It's from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., and it's a really great event. So please tell your neighbors, tell your friends, tell your people at church. Let them know that this is a great event to attend. And last but not least, I want to let you know about a place to go and get free, again, free, 
financial education. If you're wondering, I want to learn how to invest, but I don't know where to start, I'd like to encourage you to check out um, the Maryland Cash Academy. So this is an online resource for both educators, but mostly people who are just looking for free classes. They want to make sure that they're going someplace that has quality educators, where they're not tr someone's not trying to sell them something. So this is a no-sell zone. You can sign up for the classes you want for free. Some of them are held here at the library. They're held around Baltimore City. You can go to the website, which is mdcashacademy.org, and search by instructor, by topic, by location, and find out classes that are nearby you that are vetted by us to make sure that you're getting quality education to better your finances. Again, they're free, MD Cash. Please check us out to take advantage of these free classes. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Thanks for your time. Questions? Questions about panelists or me? Yes, sir. Sure. Um, oh, thank you. Um, I know that you have been proponent of the re-regulation of banks under Glass-Steagall, as the Angelides Commission has said, yes. uh, was necessary. But I think there's an aspect that is not well understood by most people, which is that under Glass-Steagall, if you clear out the bailout money that we're giving Wall Street, we can uh, actually uh, issue credit, as Roosevelt did, for massive infrastructure projects. Now, I represent Mr. Lyndon LaRouche, who has pointed to something that most people are not really looking at, which is given the solar activity that's activating and is associated with earthquakes and volcanic activity around the world, is this a time we want to be shutting down infrastructure, or should we actually be launching massive crash programs to build up our science and our technology, picking up where, where JFK left off, and cancel these bailouts once and for all? Well, the, um, as you probably know, first of all, let me, let me go backwards. I, I said from the very beginning of this meeting that I think it is extremely important that we not cut off our future with some of the things that we're doing with regard to cuts. I think it is extremely important that we build up our infrastructure, extremely. Not just from the standpoint of jobs, Jobs are very, very, very important. But from the standpoint of we've got, we've got areas that are basically falling apart, sinkholes that are, are, I mean, you get a sinkhole in Maryland, I don't know if you know this, about every 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes. Some of them are very small, some of them are very large. Um, and give you another example of the problem with regard to infrastructure, uh, Mr. Fox uh, who is, what's his title? Director of Public Works. Director of Public Works for Baltimore came to, the, uh, came to Congress and testified in a committee that uh, I'm on, the Transportation Committee, and he talked about how we're losing money because what they'll do is, they, let's say, for example, they, they have a road that they repair. The city repairs the road, and then the next thing you know, uh, some infrastructure problem happens, because we haven't done all the maintenance that we're supposed to do. Some of these, by the way, some of this infrastructure is over 100 years old. And so what happens? They have to dig up the road and spend the money anyway. So that's, uh, so I, first of all, I agree with you. Um, and as far as, as, um, as, far as uh, reform of Wall, the Wall Street Reform Bill, as I know you know, I was on that, that uh, conference committee. Um, the Wall Street Reform Bill is not the bill that I would have liked to have seen. 
I think we need to do more of the things that you are talking about, and we will hopefully get to those. The problem is that I think there was a lot of compromises made in an effort to try to get some Republican votes. All you got to do is look at the record. And, and, and the same thing, by the way, happened with regard to the health care bill. We, tried, we, we went out our way trying to present, and members of Congress, the Democrats, went out of the way trying to get Republican votes. We ended up getting hardly any, and in some, in some instances, none. But the bills were weakened. And so a lot of the things that we wanted to do in those bills, we could not do. So what I, what I will say to you is that that effort uh, with regard to Wall Street reform, Glass-Steagall, and, 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 and the matters that you mentioned, this is about a, a, a project and not a product. Ever evolving, we're going to have to keep on pushing. We're in a very, very, very difficult uh, political climate. Mr. Dingle, John Dingle, who has been in the Congress for over 50, 50 years, for over 50 years, he is the longest member serving in Congress. He said he has never seen a climate like this, as mean spirited as it is right now. Hopefully, we'll be able to get past that and get some things done for, for our nation. Yes, sir. And then I'll come to you, sir. Yes, sir, Mr. Congressman. Nice and loud. Uh, but he's loud anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Congressman, thank you for having invited me to this very worthwhile town meeting and summit. I'm concerned, as you know, for the last 42 years I've been in the wilderness trying to stop the violence. Right. Now I have a new project. It's really not new. It's like 14 years old. It's one church, one corner, one community. As you know, the mayor just kicked off. Ken Strong was there, her summit on from vacant to values. My interest is these vacant houses in these neighborhoods. Now your, your assistant, uh, Hope Williams, went to the Alliance meeting and said that some finances was coming through housing from the federal government to address some of these vacant housing or property. I hope I'm correct. Okay, thank you. That's a great question. L let me tell you something. Uh, just last week, just last week, just last week, just trying to make sure I get my dates right, um, the Republican Congress voted to abolish, to abolish a program called the Neighborhood Stabilization Program. That was a program that would have allocated, that did, and still does. We haven't, it hasn't gotten to the Senate yet, but they voted to abolish it. I, of course, I, I voted to maintain it. But that was money for money to come into neighborhoods, particularly you know, where you had foreclosure problems and would have allowed the city or the local government to stabilize those houses and in many instances buy them, buy them back from whoever uh, owned them. I mean, when they, in other words, when they, the banks or whoever, and then redo them and then sell them. They voted to actually kill that program. And so that program is going to take a hit. In other words, it may not be killed when it, by the time it gets over the Senate, but it will be substantially reduced. What I'm saying is that, and then I, I know you know about community block grants. Mm -hmm. They've voted to slash them almost to, I mean, just, I mean, almost to nothing. These are programs that have allowed us to be able to do a lot of innovative things in the city and build back up our communities. And so, you know, one of the panelists said it best. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we, I mean, if we have never been political, we need to be political now. Mm 
if you have, and I'm not, and I'm not saying this for my sake. I have now lived longer than I will live. But it's for that, that child in the back, the little one there. We have got to, we cannot, and I'm saying this, and I say it. <laughs> right on time. Thank you very much, my brother. <laughs> we, um, we have got to guard our progress. We, we can do even better, but there is an effort now to basically tear down a lot of the very things that have allowed people to sustain themselves in a time when so many people are suffering. Yeah. And so, um, again, but going back to what you talked about, this whole thing of jobs, ladies and gentlemen, we have got to create jobs. And a lot of the slashing that's taken place, I'm telling you, and I mean it from the depths of my heart, there are probably be places in the 7th Congressional District where the unemployment rate is 25 or 30%, if not 50. Certain areas, like my neighborhood. I live on, I live on, uh, everybody, people think I live in the suburbs. For the last 30 years, I have lived on Madison Avenue near North. Yeah, Madison Avenue near North. That is not the suburbs. And so I get a chance to see it every day, the people who cannot get a job. In, and, and sometimes, in good times, these are bad times. And one of the reasons why I was, I was so concerned, Reverend Ray, I know this is your concern too, about the cuts is that it's estimated that all of these cuts, we will lose somewhere in the area of 700,000 jobs. Now, the president has been going in the right direction. The economy has been getting better and better, just very, very slowly but surely. But when you start slashing the way is, things are happening now, I mean, the way it's been, the votes have gone in the House, what's going to happen is that you're going to not, not knock out a lot of your public service-type jobs, a lot of them, because a lot of money will not be coming to the state. And uh, Governor O'Malley, has, I mean, and believe me, he has, you may not want to recognize it, but I've got to give it to him, he has done... Uh, a phenomenal job dealing with our money and trying to stretch it and not allowing people to hurt who are already hurting. But it's going to get a lot worse. So we've got to, and so I want to be able to say, just like Ken was just talking about, he was talking about the program with regard to uh, energy assistance. And if you heard what he said, he said, you know, we got the money now and we got some stimulus money. But I don't know how long that's going to last. And so we, we're going to have to keep fighting. This is, this is political time. If anybody, if you want to raise your voice, this is time to raise it. Yes, sir. Yeah, we have some, but we don't know how long it's going to last, okay? And I can get you more information on that, okay? Yes. Oh, Ken, did you want to talk about that? Did you want to talk about that? Well, I would just uh, add, uh, Reverend Ray, that um, I'd be happy to work with you uh, to bring more of the faith community into the plans for vacants uh, to values. I know there's a lot of resources um, uh, within uh, churches and religious organizations, both for the, for the physical rehabilitation of, uh, of housing, but also bringing homeowners uh, back into the city right. and into areas, and I'd be happy to work with you on that. 
All right. Yes, and then I'll come to you, sir. I'm Congressman Cummings, how you doing, sir? Yes, sir. Fine. My question is, in this day and time and the economy the way it is, why is it that people with disabilities such as myself are on a fixed income of $600 or less, and you get a letter in the mail talking about we're not going to give you an increase in your benefits because it's not conducive to the economy. What, what, what kind of benefits are you getting? I'm sorry. I'm getting Social Security and disability. I have multiple sclerosis. And with the way things are set up now, I've lost my home. And it's been a difficult battle. I don't know if you, you, you mean you talk about the annual increase, like right. the, um, yeah, the COLA. Well, right. the, I know you know how that COLA is set. It has to be a certain, it's done by a certain formula. Right. And so, and when, and if that, if, if it's sort of tied to inflation and wages, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't go up, in other words, if there's not an increase, if they don't see that there's an increase, a certain amount of increase, to live by, then you, the cola does not go up. That's the problem. Um, and that's the problem. Um, and a lot of people say, well, Cummings, you know, that makes no sense because my bread costs more and my, uh, you know, my rent is more. But all of that stuff is done on a national average. Um, you may know a lot of people who are moving back to the South. You know why they move to, one of the reasons why they move to the South is cheaper. It's cheaper to live. When they do all these averages, it's done for the whole country. For the entire country, so that's the problem there, and not a lot I can do about that one. But a lot, but but the folks up here, there are things that you may need to sustain yourself that they can help you with. Okay. Uh, I told that gentleman I come to him, and then I'll go to come to you. How you doing, Mr. Cummins? Uh, I wanted information about starting. Uh, I have a project I'm working on, and starting my own business. And startup money, because there's a lot of programs out here where they can say, oh, we give you startup government money, but you go to them sites to go to the avenues, and they don't have no way of getting it. It's like to help people create jobs, as you said, and opportunities to help people to create homes and transportation services, stuff like that based on the business that you created. So where can you get startup money, real startup money, to create that to help people? Sir? So we are going to have a panel of experts at Money Power Day on April 2nd that are looking specifically at starting businesses. Then we will have lenders there as well that are going to be talking. You can meet one-on-one -on -one with lenders about what it takes to, to get a loan, to access equity, to be able to start a business. Um, so I would encourage you to come and meet one-on-one -on -one with experts to get that advice and also participate in um, some of the workshops to get some of that information. But um, definitely the best place to start in terms of regionally, just the best experts are going to be at Money Power Day that day. It's at Poly Western High School on April 2nd from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And Trudy, what, when is our franchise event? When is that? Saturday, April 30th, um, 8 a.m. Where? At the War Memorial Plaza. Okay. We have a thing where we do, uh, uh, working with the city, uh, a lot of businesses that, and I don't know what kind of business you have or what you're interested in, but we have a franchise event coming up on April 30th, and she just handed you the flyer, um, and where we bring in franchise folk to talk about 
uh, how they will work with folks to start franchise uh, businesses. That's a big deal. And the reason why franchises are so popular is that they have a proven success rate. They have a formula that works. And so we try to encourage folks to go in, into that. But Trudy Perkins, who's right back there, the back door right there, there she is. She's on my staff. And Trudy, uh, she's my deputy chief of staff, but her more significant role is that she deals with small businesses and trying to find resources for them, SBA, and, and on and on. So that's what she does most of her day. Um, so you want to get to know her. Trudy Perkins. And she has a card. She has, a, she has cards there. Well, I, I got, can I, can I, I just promise them, but I promise them will come back to you. I, I promise the lady, these two ladies right here, okay? No, you first, ma'am. You first, and then the lady right behind you. Yeah, go ahead, please. No, please, nice and loud. Okay. Um, can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, how do you take advantage of the weatherization program? I have applied for that, like, for the past five years. Never, ever do I get any response. Uh, I, I've filled out the applications. I've even gone up to some place on Charles Street and filled out an application. I've never, ever, ever heard wow. anything. When this is over, we're going to meet and we're going to get you connected for that. I don't know why that had happened that uh, um, you've been trying that long, but yeah. your, your long wait is over. I'll connect with you today. Also, quickly, the ta free tax preparation, is that, uh, can you do back years? Yes, several of our sites um, have uh, qualified uh, preparers that can do back returns. Mm -hmm. I would suggest coming to our downtown office, which is on Water Street, which is walkable from here. Mm -hmm. um, and it's on the flyer, so I can give you a flyer afterwards, and you can make an appointment um, with one of our staff at that site that are qualified to do back taxes. Hello. I was wondering what is being done to control as well as address the rising health costs, um, health care costs for senior citizens? Wonderful. The... Um you know, most senior citizens are on Medicare. You, you know that. Um, and the, and you, I want you to chime in whenever you want. I might help you access people. One of the things that, and a lot of people don't fully understand. First of all, the health care bill is a very, very, very complicated piece of legislation. It's thousands of pages. But with regard to seniors, one of the things that we've done is we're slowly closing the donut hole. You familiar with that? Huh? Well, under the prescription drug program, after you spend first up until about $2,500, um, you get a certain discount. Then there's a hole, they call it the donut hole, where you pay the full price of the prescription. Then once you get up to about $5,250, somewhere in that area, then you start, then you get a, then you start getting the discount again. Well, what, what's happening is that a lot of people, they spend, up to, they spend into the donut hole, which means that they may be paying uh, up until that $2,500. They may be spending, let's say, $25, $30 uh, prescription or less. Next thing you know, they're paying $50, $60 during that, in that hole. Well, what we've done in this legislation is we're closing that so that eventually there will be no donut hole and you will get a discount straight on through. The weakness with that, though, and I must tell you this is something that I don't like, is that a lot of times the insurance companies uh, who are dealing with these prescriptions, while we're trying to make sure we reduce the cost, they go up on the other end and raise the prices. 
And so we got to deal with that piece too. That's one thing. Another thing that's being done is something that seems, uh, you know, a lot of people don't, don't see it as valuable, but I know it's valuable. And that is, this is the, the, the health care reform bill is about keeping people well. Very, very significant. Because now they'll be able, under this health care reform bill, they'll be able to get free screenings, uh, bone density. They can get uh, the, the mammograms. They get a, by the way, they get, they get an annual wellness exam. Anybody, you know, that's a new concept where they can actually go in and get checked out from head to toe for free. Now, that's very significant in, 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 in because what happens is we're able to keep people well so that they don't have to spend a lot of money later on trying to correct something that's gotten real, real bad. I cannot, I can, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm almost like a preacher, a pastor in a church. I get, uh, no, I didn't mean it like that, but, but I get calls. I get calls probably every month, and usually from a senior who calls me and says something like this. Said, Cummins, I'm in the hospital. I just found out I have cancer, and they say I, ain't got, I don't have long to live. And the first thing I asked them was, how long have you known? Or did you do so-and-so and so-and-so? And I can tell you in, in a large number of those cases, it's because people did not get the checkup early. They didn't get the mammogram. They did, and gentlemen did not do the prostate cancer exam. Well, we've got those exams are now free under wellness. You follow what I'm saying? So that, that's another effort to kind of not only control costs, but to control, to make pe help people stay well. You got to keep in mind, we spent a huge amount of, uh, of money on the last few months of a person's life. I don't know if you know that. I forget the percentage, but it is phenomenal, the amount of money that's spent at the end of somebody's life. I mean, like maybe two months, three months, whatever, but, they, but trying to save them. Fraud, waste, and abuse. The president has pushed this very hard. There are a lot of, and by the way, I forgot to announce that I am now uh, the, the highest-ranking member on something called the Oversight and Government Reform Committee. I'm the highest-ranking Democrat. And that committee, our job is to make sure that government runs right, that, that, we, that money is spent effectively and efficiently, and that we deal with fraud and regulations and things like that to make sure things run right. And one of the things that we've been concentrating on is this fraud, waste, and abuse. And what we just got a report from the GAO telling us that billions upon billions of dollars are being paid out to doctors in many instances, who they're called, they're, they're called wrongful payments, but it's billions. Why? Because we have not put in, well, some of, some of, it, is, some of it is fraud. Some of it is just mistakes. People being careless, send a check out, you know, you, you owed $100, they send you uh, 10000 and And you don't send it back. You're not, they're not honest like you. Um, you. You just get your check and cash it. And, but, I mean, but I'm saying it adds up to billions. When I say billions, I don't mean three or four billion. I'm talking about this something, something like 30 or 40 billion dollars, that wrongful payment. So now what I've done, what I'm trying to do with this committee, since I'm the top Democrat, what we're trying to do is bring in the technology to make sure that we're sending out the right, some, right amount of money 
to these folks. And of course, then we then as you probably have heard, uh, just recently there was a big crackdown on some Medicare fraud that that the um, Justice Department just came down on a whole lot of folks uh, here recently. But what I'm saying to you, all of those things have got to come together to bring these costs down. Uh, and that's just not for seniors, but that's for other people. But the thing that, that and keep in mind on a general, from a general standpoint, I want, just, just hold me, hold, I'm, I'm going to get to you, ma'am. I want you to understand what's happening right now. A lot of people are saying, they say, well, Cummins, I don't understand. The, my premiums are still going up. The amount that I pay, I'm talking about younger people now, the, so the insurance company is going up. I used to pay $300, now I'm paying $350. And they're trying to blame it on this health care reform bill. The, the, the health care industry, the insurance companies will tell you, it's not because of the bill. They say that maybe 1% of, of the increase may be because of the bill. And that's because of the wellness piece that they have now, all these wellness exams. But those other increases, the health care community is basically charging more and more and more. And what we're trying to do is deal with it from the standpoint of, right now, a lot of people will go to emergency rooms to get health care. Why? Because they don't have any insurance. Do you know that emergency room care is the most expensive care that you can get? Okay? Now, a lot of people say, Cummins, what, I mean, so what, they go to the emergency room. Guess what? When they go to the emergency room, they don't pay for it. We all pay for it. You understand that? We all pay for it, some, one way or another, insurance uh, premiums or whatever, but we all end up paying for it. And a lot of people have been saying to the president, and the court cases have been dealing with the issue of whether everybody should be mandated to have insurance. One of the reasons why that, that issue, reason why they want to insure everybody, is because everybody, if you live long enough, you're going to have to get some kind of medical treatment. So why shouldn't you pay into a system where you're going to, you know, because you, if you don't pay into it, then i got to pay your insurance. So, this, and that whole issue of whether everybody can be mandated to pay is still in the courts. Some courts have said yes, some have said no, but it's going to be decided by the Supreme Court. And we're going to have to see what that comes out to be, but... This, I could go on and on about this health care bill, but it is a very important piece of legislation. Yes, you want to chime in? I, I just wanted to say to the young lady, for the seniors, depending on income, there are programs um, available called uh, supplemental um, income for seniors. It's called Slimby and Quimby. For certain qualified Medicare beneficiaries, even though they're getting Medicare, many think, well, I get Medicare, so I may not be qualified. But if you have low income, you actually get a supplement, which gives you a medical assistance card that actually pays that gap, which pays your health insurance and all of those co-pays. So if they are low-income seniors, it's a qualified Medicare beneficiary or even a supplemental program for Medicare beneficiaries. And then there's also the primary adult care program. You think, well, I have Medicare, I can't get another insurance. With primary adult care, you can also have Medicare. And with that, you get free primary care and prescription costs are covered in their very, very low copay. So that if it's a senior who lives by themselves, at least for primary adult care, they can make as much as 16000 a little bit over 16000 and still qualify for something to help fill that gap. 
then, then I got, I got, we got, I'm gonna let you answer it real quick. Go ahead, answer, and then I gotta get to all these we other. We have people. A, a standing bill. I mean, like a, a nursing home bill, for example. Where do you go? What resources are out there if you need funding to help pay for that? If, I mean, we can go forward and get, you know, enroll in those programs. But what do you do about the past bills that you have to pay that you can't afford? Well, through um, Department of Social Services, you can go to them and they will do retroactive for medical assistance. It's called like a spend down. So if you have outstanding medical bills, they'll do a spend down to, um, to take that from the income and pay down the medical costs. And they go back at least three months to help with that cost of outstanding bills. Okay. The uh, Crystal Washington, is Crystal out there? Crystal Washington in my office deals with senior issues. So um, she, she's going to come in and make sure you get her card because she knows all the folks who are dealing with various senior issues, and she deals with them every day. That's what Crystal, there's Crystal right there. And we'll make sure you get her card, okay? Uh, yes, sir. I have a lot of roadblocks when it comes to getting contracts with the city or with general contractors who's doing work for the city. It's supposed to be allocated a certain amount of that contract to small minority business owners, but they don't actually fulfill it. They fill it on the onset, but as the contract continues to grow, they no longer fulfill it. I was wondering, how do we go about addressing that? Because a lot of my staff are the youth of Baltimore City because I try to get a lot of the young men between the ages of 19 and 25 before the street take over them. And um, I've been having to let a lot of them go because I haven't been getting additional contracts. And I follow all the proper protocols to fulfill the contract requirements. All right, let me answer that. That's a very good question. I, I, I want you to understand what, he, what he's talking about. In the, in the city, uh, if there's a contract, let's say, for example, to have the paving, uh, sidewalk paving or whatever, 20% of that contract has to go to minority contractors, at least 3% to women. Is that still a? And what's happening is that when they put, they, they do it by bid. And when they put the bid in, the contractor will say, I'm going to use, for my minority contractor, J&J uh, Contracting that does cement work. And he's saying that once they get the contract, either one or two things happen. They don't, they'll, they'll use J&J a little bit, but won't, he won't get 20%. Or, or they won't use him at all. Although they have put in their documents that they would. I'm very familiar with this. Um, because we've done some things on the federal level. Uh, if you get a federal contract, we did, I did this, and we, I spent a lot of time on this. This just came out. If it's a federal contract and it goes to the city, then what they have to do is they have to, if they put you on a contract, then they've got to, and they don't use you, they've got to give evidence as to why they did not use you, and then they've got to replace you with another uh, minority contractor. You follow what I'm saying? Uh, the city has still got, a, I'm sure, still wrestling with that. Uh, I don't know whether you have something on that, Ken, but, that, but that's what we've done on the federal level because we, I, I know that happens all the time. And so a lot of people may be sitting here saying, well, why is that so important? It's go, it's, he, he just stated why it's so important because minority contractors, and I, and I having run a small minority law firm, I know, hire minority people. And I don't know if you know this, but 
the African-American unemployment rate is usually almost double, almost double the unemployment rate for the general population. So in other words, if it's 9.8, if it was 9, it's 8.9 right now, but if it was not, when it was 9.8, it was 15%, 15 point something for African-Americans. And, and so you want to try to find folk who will hire African-Americans so you can bring those numbers, that unemployment rate to a, a, a lower level. So, but Ken, do you have something on that? Uh, there's a section of the city law department that enforces the minority business and women business uh, requirements, and I'd be happy to put you in touch with one of those enforcement um, officers on any specific complaints. And the other thing is we don't want to discourage minority businesses. And a lot of people don't know. I, I got to say this, having run a, a small business, I, anybody who has a business for themselves, you need to salute them. Mm-hmm. I'm serious. Because you are depending upon people walking through your door, and you, put your li- you literally put your life on the line depending on people to come and bring you and give you business. And, and I remember when I, I, I got to tell this one. When I first opened my law office, oh, God, how long ago was that? Long time ago, <laughs> almost 30 years ago. I'll never forget some of I had a little small tacky office. I'd gotten some furniture from the Salvation Army, and, and it was a little rough looking. Bart got a, got a rug from my mother-in-law that she was getting, throw out, getting ready to throw out. And some of my boys came by to see my new office, and they started laughing. I said, man, this is tacky, man. You get, this is a bad man. And then I had to say to them, at least I have an office. So what I'm saying to you is that, you know, that's why we've got to make sure we, we have got to support our small business, not just minority businesses, but small business, businesses, women-owned businesses. Uh, all of our businesses, we've got to support them. And a lot of people will look at uh, uh, members who represent, members of Congress who represent urban areas and think that we have something against business. I don't have anything against business. I want business to do well. I really do. You know why? Because businesses produce jobs. And, and, and when you're not working, that's a major problem. I, I, I could go on. I'm not going I'm to I'm get to my questions. And then I'm going to come over back to you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for coming uh, here today. And this is Matthew Redmond. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm a student. You want me to I'm a student uh, in D.C. And I heard Miss Angela Burden talk about the rise in incidents of infant mortality. I hope with that was included abortion. Right now we have clinics that are not only in Baltimore, Maryland, but all over Maryland that their main business is to provide services for women that are abortion, and it kills women. About $1.1 billion annually for that business. One-third of that goes to Planned Parenthood, and there's a measure currently in Congress to give them an additional $300 million. Instead of putting money to uh, services and clinics like American Services, Hillcrestors, Planned Parenthood, most of which are in predominantly African-American communities under the topic of providing American women services. Instead of funneling money to those clinics, why don't we fund it to places like small businesses, places like economic development for 
church leaders and education. And that's what I would like to do instead of funding uh, this rise in incidents. Thank you. Well, well I'm, I'm, first of all, you, you noted the Hyde Amendment forbids that. And we also have a provision in the health care reform that is federal money being spent on abortions. You, you know that, right? The, but Planned Parenthood, you know, I'm not a woman. But, you know, something like Planned Parenthood, I think women, there's services that Planned Parenthood provides that women want. Um, and I think we have to make sure that they have the opportunity to get the services that they, that they want. I've always been uh, pro-choice. Uh, personally, I have my personal views, but when it comes to a woman and making a decision with regard to abortion, I think that that's up to her, her family, and her God. I really believe that. Me not being a woman, um, I can, I'm, not gonna, I, I'm not gonna stand here as a man and tell a woman what to do. I'm just not gonna do that. Um, but I understand being the son of two preachers, I have my personal feelings about that. But again, um, and another thing, keep in mind, there are, you may not have to even worry about that because the Republicans are trying to slash every dime. Every dime that Planned Parenthood gets. So you may not have to worry about that one. Um, in other words, it won't be any money going to Planned Parenthood at the rate, what they're trying to do right now. Um, you know, the other thing that when it comes to poor women, one of the things I think, and as a matter of fact, there's been an effort, I don't want to get too, too, too deep into this, but there's an effort where they say that if you get birth control pills, they only want to get birth control pills. I'm just telling you. And so, again, I'm not a woman, so I can't, I, I don't know how much that means to a woman, and you're not one either. So, and I, I'm not trying to be smart, but it's so easy sometimes, I think, for us men to, to make decisions for women. And for some, for some men, yeah, yes, I'm sorry, yeah, thank you. The... Something that was set up here, we just um, had had a uh, thing on a healthy healthy start, and we were and we were talking about the mortality rate. And I tell you, for this is this is this is something that really bothers me. You know, in the Congress, so often we have these discussions about abortion, and we and 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 and, and, and you know children. And we have situations where people will, will talk about uh, trying to make sure that children come into the world. And I think that's great. But then when it comes to WIC, they want to slash the, the, the food out of their mouths. I, I'm, I'm just saying, it just, I mean, sometimes there are some contradictions there. Um, and, and, I mean, literally, literally. I'm not talking about something out of, I mean, uh, the slashing... A lot of the money, when it comes to the WIC program, they want to cut, I mean, cut that almost to zilch. So we, we got to, I understand. And, and again, I, I understand. Yes, ma'am. Yes, my name is Mina. Thank you for coming. What is the status of the Congress on the moratorium on foreclosures? And also, I have a private lender that's charging me an extra. 
an additional $200 a month. He charges me $50 after the 5th, and after the 20th is an additional $200 a month. I think I've That's written to This is the uh, private note holder of the house that I'm buying. I've written to your office about it. So I wanted to get a response to those two. We actually spoke, too, and I, I asked her to, to get in touch with Dollar to first file a complaint about the lender because something doesn't sound right there. And I don't know if you want to talk about the moratorium. but There is no moratorium. I'd love for them there to be one. Uh, this is The foreclosure thing pains me so much because every program, we had a program that was My Bill, My Bill, a program that would have given... Uh, small uh, loans to people who, who had lost their jobs. The aim was to give them money to help supplement their mortgage payment so they could keep staying in the house so that, and then, then when they got the job, they would pay the money back. You follow what I'm saying? That does several things. It, keep, it stabilizes the neighborhood. Um, it allows that person to stay in their house because they're going to have to live somewhere. You know, it allows them to stay in their, neighbor, in, in, in their house. And then, of course, the money would, go, would come back. So it's not a, like a grant. It's a loan, right? We were asking for $3 billion. That came under this Wall Street reform bill. The Republicans reduced it to $1 billion. That, now, that, 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 that was done last year. And now they're trying to take away the, the, the other billion before the program even gets started. A lot of people don't realize, but foreclosure affects everybody in this room whether you own your house or not. It affects all of us because when there is a foreclosed house in your block, all the property values go down. There's another thing that happens. The city then has to maintain that property to keep it in decent shape because anybody who knows, if you've just watched The Wire a little bit, you know that all kinds of things are happening in those houses, those vacant houses. Dead bodies left in, in them. Uh, people, uh, our drug population going in there to shoot up and things of that nature. And it just, it just brings the whole neighborhood down. And I can tell you that I know of people, I know of somebody just recently who uh, had a house that was worth about 400000 and after, after about a year of foreclosures, it's going to come down to two seventy five. You remember what I talked about? Remember what I talked about? The transfer of wealth, that's wealth. When you had something a year ago that was worth 400000 and today is worth 275000 that's $125,000 for somebody who's making $50,000 a year. That's a hard hit. So what I'm saying to you is that they, then there's another program called the HAMP program. They are trying to get rid of that one, too. Matter of fact, that will be coming up on the 28th. We'll be voting on that. I guarantee you they will vote to kill that one. That one is one that the federal government could have done a lot. lot. This is a, with regard to helping people modify their loans. And, I, and I, know, I know that there are people in this room. I know it. I know. I see you. I feel you who are saying we should not be helping people. You, you're saying, I pay my mortgage. Why should I try to help somebody else pay their mortgage? And, and the point is, is that most of these people that I'm talking about now got into these mortgages because of hard times. And they're not looking for it. They're really not looking for it. And Debbie will tell you, they're not looking for anybody to do them any favors. They just want a bridge so they can get a job. 
So they can pay the mortgage. Keep in mind what I just said. I'm talking about people who've gone 25 years on a 30-year mortgage and has never missed a pay, never been late. And so we see that, and we've done, by the way, now six, six four, five foreclosure prevention conferences. We got, when's the next one? Um, Saturday, June 25th at Woodlawn High School from 9 till 3. Uh, we do a, this is going to be our sixth foreclosure conference in the last two years. And what we do is try to help people prevent foreclosures. We bring in the lender, because most people can't get the lender on the phone. We get them in the room. We get them in the room. And we actually sit, and sit down and have the lender and the borrower face each other to work out foreclosure uh, modifications. That's why we've been successful. Matter of fact, our program is now being copied by other congressmen all over the country. They haven't done as many as we've done, but they are using our format to do theirs because the banks have not been very cooperative uh, so far. Uh, thank you for coming today, uh, Senator Cummings. Um, what funding do you have available for people that, my, my, myself, I recently lost my apartment? And I'm not asking for anything subsidized, but what funding do you have available for people who are looking for to regroup again? I don't know that there is, is who's, who's, who handles that? Like, oh, oh, you do. No, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Hurry, hurry, Spikes in my office handles housing issues. Okay, go ahead. No, what is available in the city, depending on what area you live in, via the county or the city, there are various nonprofit organizations that assist families with relocation and also assist families with getting them to areas within their area based on their income. And the challenge now has been that there's a lot of people who have lost their jobs in relation to losing their home. They do, they do now what is called a holistic approach, where they have um, assisted housing areas in the county that are like transitional housing. You follow me? And then through that program, they find you jobs or they help you out with that. And then on top of that, look at areas that your income is conducive to finding a place to live. So there's, um, you can contact me. Harry Spikes. Right. I do. I do. Harry Spikes. Harry is good. Yes, ma'am. Is there um, some type of program that allows people maybe free psychiatric services um, because we get more and more depressed mm-hmm. when we're out of work? And I got a letter today, as this lady was saying, that from a mortgage company who has been trying to help that I just wouldn't even open. I just put it in my purse. Mm-hmm. And I receive psych services, but... My medication is $134 a month, and without insurance, the doctor only charges me $50, and he tries to give me free samples, but, you know, it's like depression sets in, especially when you're a certain age. You don't even have to be a certain age. I mean, no, seriously, a lot of people, yeah, mental health services. Yeah, um, one thing that I would rec- recommend that you do is... First of all, we want to make sure that you have access to primary care health care. So if you do not have um, health insurance or you don't have a physician at this point, I would strongly urge you to um, get connected to a community health center in your area. As I said, today we have total health care has their table outside. 
Right. Um, and so what we want to make sure is, first of all, that we can get you qualified for some type of insurance because more than likely, as um, Ms. Burden just mentioned, the PAC program is probably a good resource for you at this point. Yeah, and um, right, and it covers mental health. So you want to make, you want to do, try, contact her office to see what you're eligible for. And then at that point, if you're, if you're qualified for the PAC program, then you can, first of all, set up your program or your appointment with your primary care physician to be referred for mental health care. Because we, we understand that, you know, it's, it's rough. It's rough. <laughs> it's an understatement yeah. these days. By the way, we have our jobs fair, our jobs fair, and there's a flyer. It looks like this. All of them the same color? Yeah. We have a jobs fair coming up on April the 18th. Uh, it's at the 5th Regiment Armory, and it's from 9 until 2 p.m. 9 to 2, the flyers are outside there. I'm going to get to you, sir, but let me, let me unless you want, gotta, you want to answer one of those mental health questions, I'm going I'm to get to you real quick. Dr. Dr. Chiro, Hi. Uh, total, uh, total health care. Right. He's going to help us. Try to answer your question. Yeah, I just want to say, number one, Total Health Care provides... Well, this is the president of Total Health Care. Sorry to give you your due. <laughs> we provide all kinds of primary health care services. We also provide mental health services. You know? And we can provide mental health services even for individuals who can't afford to pay. As a federally qualified health center, as Bernadette probably told you, we are required to, to service to anyone who comes into, the, uh, into our center. So the idea is, is number one, for those individuals that have insurance, we can provide service for them for those who are uninsured, but we provide a wide range of services in addition to mental health, and we feel it's very important for people who, to have access to mental health services, because a lot of our patients really require some intervention, so that's why we set up the program. So I'll give you my card, you can call us, we'll set up something, come in, and not only deal with your primary care, but your mental health issues as well. The, um, I'm gonna be able to take, take one more question, but let me just say one thing. On the mental health piece, um, you know, one of the reasons why it is so important to keep people working is because all the research shows that with the, when you're off for a long period of time, it does a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. It does a, not a lot of damage. I mean, people's self-esteem go down. A lot of people, you know, you hear all these people talking about they want to retire. I'm just working to retire, girl. I just want to retire. And then when they retire, you know, they, 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 they ain't got nothing to do. And so, so, but and all, and we've had hearings on this. And 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 another thing that that bothers me about what our Republican colleagues are doing, uh, a lot of people who have lost their jobs, those jobs aren't coming back. You, because let me tell you what's happening now, and all, and we we've seen this through the research. People have discovered that they can do more with less people. And so what's happened is that the people that are working, in many instances, are working harder. Working harder. And so, you know, when, you got, when they may have had ten people, now they may be operating with seven. And they say, oh, that's pretty good. We can make, you know, just as much money or more with seven. Why do we want to spend more money on some, hiring these other three people? Personnel is usually your highest cost for business. So... A lot of people need retraining, retraining. Our Republican friends are slashing a huge percentage of the retraining dollars. 
which is very, very significant. Another thing that we need to do is we need to look at the, the option that we're going to have, I hope uh, that people at our jobs fair from our community colleges to kind of guide people with regard to what may be out there for retraining. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want, if people are looking for jobs, I advise you to look in the area of healthcare and in, with regard into green type jobs. We're going to hopefully have a green uh, conference coming up, hopefully in the next uh, several months. But the kind of things that Ken's talking about, things like weatherization, things like things that to save energy, things of that nature, um, those are the jobs that are going to be significant. And the other jobs that are going to be very significant is healthcare. Keep in mind, keep in mind, if you're adding 32 million people to the healthcare roles, 32 million, hello, 32 million, you're going to need a lot of healthcare people. You're going to need, you know, everything you see in the hospital, you know, the people who does the, do the x-rays, all the, a lot of people say, well, I'm 54, 55, it's too late for me to be retrained. Well, you need to be retrained. People these days are working, working until they're 70, 75. Some of them 80. I plan to be working until I die. <laughs> and I'm serious about that. I'm serious. I'm not going home and watch CNN. No, no, I get bored to death, literally to death. So I ain't going there. So, so, but I'm just saying more and more people are living longer, and that's why I keep emphasizing we've got to take care of ourselves. We have got, can I say something real quick? Going back to the health care bill, I'm begging folk to take advantage of the organizations like Total Access Health Care, uh, Health Access, well, yeah, that, you, you all. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Because, because we are dying early. A lot of us are dying early because we don't get the exams. You know, we don't get the mammogram. They say, women say, oh, that hurts too much. Well, you could be dead. Men don't want to get the prostate exams. Well, they could be dead. But more importantly, I think some, there's something that we forget. There is so much value into still being on the earth so that you can be there for your families. I mean, and I really mean that. I never got to know two of my grandfathers and one of my grandmothers. I they, were, they were dead before I was born. And they provide valuable. You, you may not think you, you're valuable to them. They need to know some history. They need to know you. So I, I just want to emphasize that sometimes I think we forget that. And then people, they've gone on, and, and as I tell people, when you're dead, you're dead. So we've got to try to make sure that we live as long as we can live. And that's why this health care thing is so, so important. And I mean it. I mean it the depths of my heart. I told a group today, when I was campaigning, somebody came up to me and said, Elijah, are you going to apologize? Are you going to apologize for voting for the health care bill? I said, on the day of the health care bill vote, I got to the floor four hours early. I sat on the front row, and I had only one prayer, and that was, God, don't let me die before I vote for this bill. Why? Because I go to, to, to rooms like this, filled with people like this, and I ask the question, how many of you all, don't raise your hands, I'm just telling you what I do, how many of you all know somebody that died, and when you went to the funeral and heard their, you know, how they died and whatever, 
you concluded that they probably could have still been here if they had gotten decent health care or if they had health care. Usually at least 50 to 60% of the people raise their hands. And I just asked them for the, during, over the course of the last year. I'm not talking about five years ago, your grandmom and your granddaddy. So what I'm saying is that there is nothing, as I get older, I realize there's nothing more valuable than life. The other day I had an automobile accident. I mean, this guy hit me hard. I mean, ran through a red light, hit me bad. But you know what? I was, I normally, the, the younger me, Doc, would have been all upset. I wasn't upset. The younger me would have been pissed because I was being inconvenienced, messed up my car, got to get a rental car, none of that. I was just so glad that I was in one piece. No, I'm serious. And, when you, and, so, and that's, what, that's what's most important. We can replace things. We cannot replace this life. We cannot. And so anyway, last question. Yes, sir. And then the panelists are going to stick around. I'm going to stick around for a little while. Uh, and then we're going to, the library is going to put me out in about 20 minutes. All right. First of all, I want to uh, thank uh, somebody on your staff named Fel Fel Felicia. Felicia Lane. Felicia. Yes. Okay. All right, we're going to make sure that you see. You, you ever met her? You met her? Yes, I met her. Okay, um, good. Your office got me over $5,000 back. What happened? The, uh, the student loan that I had taken out. Yes, sir. Well, they kept garnishing my paycheck mm. to the point that they owed me 5000 and some dollars. Mm. I wanted to thank you for that. Mm. The other thing I want to bring up. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you still on that? That's Felicia Lane. What's she at? Right there. Hey, girl. <laughs> Look how much pretty as I'm handsome. You go. But, but can I give, do a commercial break right here? Now, I'm, I'm going to let you finish. Ladies and gentlemen, I have one of the best staffs in the country. In the country. They, well, the people in the room, the people in my staff, raise your hands. Raise your hands. There you go. These people sometimes work six, seven days a week. Sometimes I drive by the office on Sunday. They're sitting in the office. Why? Because they are committed to service. Committed to service. And just like we sit here, stories like the one you just told, all the time. All the time. Why? Because you've got to have people in office who care about people. It's not just enough that I care. We have to have people. I can't do my job without them. And they are underpaid. And let me say this. I'm tired of people beating up on public servants. You know, they, they, everybody says, oh, public servants paid all this money. They don't do nothing. No, that's not true. And most public servants, I don't know if you know it, are women. So when you hear beating up on public service, remember, they're beating up on women. Union members, women. You may think it's men, but it's women. All right, I'm going. Go ahead. Okay, the other thing that I wanted to, uh, that's a concern to me, is the prison population. Yes. The number of prisons that's being built and what's doing to curb that. Um, I personally feel that drugs are contained in our areas as opposed to getting them out. And then if we have a leadership that has participated in it, then it's, how do you lock somebody up when you're doing it? Yeah, yeah. You know, we had that whole era with the George Bushes who then took $800 billion, and I don't hear nobody asking, where's the money? Mm -hmm. I hear uh, uh, Hollaberg, all the illegal stuff they done done. Halliburton, He's yeah. not in jail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to say I have a problem with, them, with, with, with our police officers being committed to uh, uh, putting their life on the line to solve a crime, and it's coming from 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue named George Bush. Yeah. When are we going to address that? Well, you, must, you may not have seen, you know, it's not to see me on C-SPAN. Oh, I see. And one of the things that I've said many times, like, like when AIG was giving all that 
billions of dollars worth of uh, 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 bonuses and going around after the government bailed them out, they going around partying, uh, having their nails done at a spa and all that kind of stuff. You know, what I said, I said, look, I got a guy on my block on Madison Avenue who went to jail. I, I've said this in several hearings for stealing a $300 bike. Now, you got people stealing billions and millions, and they get a bonus. There's something wrong with that picture. And so what I'm saying to you is that I agree with you. We've got a, some kind of way. A lot of people don't think when folks see that, youngsters see that kind of thing, that they don't say, well, wait a minute, what kind of society are we living in? I mean, and then so they say, well, if the adults are doing it, you know, what, yeah, everybody, I mean, what's the big deal? What, you know, I don't know the answer to, to these questions. All I can do is speak up. And I speak up every chance I get to try to, 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 to push this country towards its greatness. And that's what, and this country has been built on the bricks of fairness and moral, moral fortitude. And we got to do better. We got to do better with, not only do we have to do better with that, sir, we got to do better with something else. Our country has gotten caught up in a, in a culture in many instances of, of what I call a culture of mediocrity, where people are not doing the best that they can at their jobs, not doing the best that they can to deal with their kids and lift them up and things of that nature. All of us have a responsibility to try to make that our country the best it can be. Our country became great because we were at the forefront of so much, but we were also pursuing excellence. And so... Ladies and gentlemen, I got I got to end the meeting right here, right now. My panelists, give them another hand, please. Thank you.